Don't pray. See what happens. Uh, don't go to church. See what happens. Don't read your Bible. See what happens. Um, does do, do bad things start happening? No more than usual. Do good things stop happening? No more than usual. Like nothing changed. Um, I just sort of, I, I guess it, it began to dawn on me just how manufactured it all was. And this was this was not even me going back to the Bible yet. This is just me trying to live in God's world and see him. And after several years that I, I became depressed, like I would wake up in the morning and just lay in bed for hours, like just unmotivated. So the devil finally got you, I see. <laughs> um, my friends like suggest like, yo, you might be depressed. I'm like, me? No, like I'm... I'm teaching at four schools. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. Like my relationships are cool. Why would I be depressed? But my identity is my main identifier. Like I identify as a Christian. Yeah. And that part of me was like, I don't know what to do with that right now. everybody we are back in the new year with another episode of growing up christian i'm sam i'm casey happy new year yeah man dude it's uh it feels good to be back here we have we had some in the hopper and we kind of had been going like every other would like put out a guest just do one where we shoot the shit um and but it's been like a couple of weeks since we've sat down to record anything so it feels like it's I feel like it's been even longer than that. It, it feels good to kind of kick off the new year here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it feels good to put out a couple of these that we've been sort of waiting on. Yeah. Uh, this is a weird a time one. of year. It's a weird time of year. For, most people take time off for releasing episodes. We almost did. Uh, and then we didn't because we haven't ever taken a week off uh, since we started this. So we said, fuck it. Why bother starting now? Uh, so we just put one out a little. You got you got sick. Everyone got sick, dude. Everyone I, was sick over the holidays this year. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got this like the worst migraine the day after Christmas, and I was just like shoveling drugs down my throat, and it didn't help. So yeah, I just laid around and like threw up all day and slept in twenty minute intervals. God, that's awful. I uh, oh, I think I said this on our Instagram live, but it wasn't. Uh, I don't really know how many people saw that or who's gone back to watch it. But I had uh, on Christmas Eve, I had like a horrible muscle spasm in my trapezius muscle and it was like completely easiest. Yeah. So that's like, it goes up your, it goes up your neck and down like your mid back. And then it, it's the one that out. like pulls your, your apple bag up into the slot. When <laughs> get pulled, right. Yeah. My nuts have disappeared. I have to have them surgically lowered now. <laughs> It doesn't work anymore, so you have to put in some sort of manual crank system. Yeah, it's like um, it you have to. It's like uh, like the Mister Bucket technology is what it is. <laughs> Mister Bucket, <laughs> <laughs> like, whoo, it's hot out here. I feel lightheaded. Oh, oh, hang on, gotta lower my balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was like, so I had we had like prescription meds hanging around the house like everyone does who because doctors love prescribing you a ton of stuff that you'll and you never really need it all so it just sits in a medicine cabinet 
What forever. percentage of American medicine cabinets have some sort of opioid in them? Oh, I, I would bet at 60. I bet 60%. That's probably high, but it's a lot. It's I mean, I know I've got some. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a real opioid. I had prescription pain meds, but it wasn't like the, it was just like the extra, I, was it when the, it's like the 800 milligram ibuprofen tablets or whatever, like the extra strength ones that I don't know why you can't get those. I don't, it's ibuprofen is a weird one because in order to get 800 milligrams in one pill, you have to get it prescribed, but you could take four 200 milligram pills. Supposedly having the one works better. Either way, took one of those. We had muscle relaxers from when um, my foster son had a muscle injury playing basketball. So uh, the doc, he had some of those hanging around. So I was like, I'll try those. And then uh, I mixed those with alcohol and that helped. <laughs> and then took- that seems uh wise yeah i mean i think it says specifically on there if you're in a lot of pain mixed with alcohol just make sure someone drives your ass around and wipes a drool from your face <laughs> did you poop your couch or i don't no, i actually was pretty high i felt pretty high functioning uh, i'm thinking of stool softeners oh okay uh but it was just like it was a pretty extreme discomfort that whole night and then christmas day uh my son spiked up 103 fever and felt like absolute dog shit for like four days after that. So it was uh eventful. I feel like it was just everyone uh, got sick. Uh, my family, in-laws, other people like, uh, but my parents were like sick right before the holidays. It was just like, are we even going to have holidays this year? Yeah. Well, it's going around. Did you, uh, did you have any like awkward conversations over the holidays? I didn't. I managed to avoid awkward conversations. Uh, Christmas Eve, we had a, we always do Christmas Eve with my wife's aunt at her house. And um, her uncle, we all, it was like a, everyone wore like tacky sweaters and shit like that. So uh, her uncle wore a Let's Go Brandon sweater. Uh, and that was the extent of, and, and no one said anything about it. We just, you notice it. They notice you notice it you make eye contact you look away and then that was the extent of the awkwardness it was like i think internet things age in dog years so like wearing a let's go brandon sweatshirt at this point is the equivalent of answering the phone and going what's that yeah it feels the same category it's i i think that'll be the most exciting thing the most anticipated thing about him not being president anymore is like that's almost worth Trump or DeSantis winning, really, is just to not see let's go Brandon paraphernalia anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for whatever the next round is. And I'll be totally honest. I thought that was a pretty, like, when it first happened, that event, that happenstance, very funny. I think they're saying, let's go Brandon. That's really funny. Yeah. It was. And, the, and uh, the they couldn't just let that be a moment. They can't, no one can let something just be a moment. They have to, you have to market it and capitalize on it afterwards. Yeah. That's a, there's, there's a lady that Tim Dillon has talked to a couple of times and she runs like a, uh, online store for like trumpets and whatnot, you know, really? She goes by like Tina 40 or something like that. Real Tina Tina 40. 40 Yeah. (laughs) He is such a ridiculous person but that was like the first place where i saw like the merch pop up was through her oh. and then of course you know now it's it's in my local grocery store yeah <laughs> exactly it's at the checkout aisle 
<laughs> so I went off on this a little on the Discord, but I <laughs> I had like one conversation that is such a like pet peeve for me when when talking to people who are still religious or whatever. Yeah. I, I hate when people pretend to care about something that they obviously don't. It right, drives because the they insane. feel like they have to. Well, you mean like yeah. they're like I'm supposed to care about this, so I'll pay lip service to it with my with just random insert here words. Yeah, yeah, and there, that takes a lot of different forms, and they're all annoying. Like, just don't say it. if you don't mean it, then don't say it. Like, you don't have to like put on this show for me. I don't need like the performance of how moral you are. But you know, we were talking to some people, and one of them was saying like, uh, I forget what show they were talking about. He's like, Yeah, it's it's pretty good, but. Uh, the sun in it is gay and you know like uh, <laughs> i'm like but you but you watched it he's like yeah i watched it it's just kind of like uh, why they gotta make him then gay you don't care then you do not care okay like stop pretending you care if you sat through it episode after episode after episode like it it, it would be stupid to watch it and be like oh a gay dude turn this off you know that would be dumb but I feel like to me, it's even dumber to watch that, have that reaction, continue to watch the rest of the show, and then give this stupid disclaimer before you talk about it to other people. And it's like, it reminds me of this guy that I worked with at one point, and he's a good dude. You know, all, all these people are good dudes. It's just a matter of like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. But you'd be like, yeah, you know, uh, wife and I watched uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you ever watched that show? I'm like, yeah, that's always Sonny's a great show. And he's like, it's it's pretty funny. I mean, I don't I don't think I'd want the deacons at the church to know that I watched it. But, uh, you know, it, it is pretty. I feel a little bad about it. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> you're not bad about watching it or you wouldn't watch it. Like, you don't get credit for being like this pillar of morality, whatever you think of yourself are. Yeah. As you, if you still consume the thing that you're pretending to not like. Yeah, like you, you, you watched other. it. You did it. You can't say like I'm a bit of a health nut, even though you live on Snickers bars. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't care about your health knowledge and how important health is to you and diet and all this type of stuff. Like I'm not taking dietary advice for you or thinking that you're a dietary expert. If you eat like me, like, you don't get to do both. You pick one. <laughs> It's like when Game of Thrones was like everyone was watching it and any church person had to like feel out whether or not it was one, an okay thing to bring up. And two, they couldn't talk about it without talking about how how the sex kind of ruins it. It's like, no, it doesn't. That's probably your favorite part. (laughs) You're so excited that you got to see boobs that weren't your wife's for seven minutes of this hour long episode. And you just get to pretend to feel it's like it's just a free pass. Like you didn't have to sneak that one on the Internet. You just have the pass to watch it. All you have to do, the only cost is to talk about how bad it is afterwards. And then you pay that cost. And now you get to consume visually more boobs next week. And you'll pretend you don't like it then, too. Yeah, maybe it's like a fake penance thing. Maybe that's how they think of it is like. Well, I'm admitting that I did this bad thing, you know, and like I'm I'm disclosing that I did a thing that I feel guilty about or whatever. Maybe that's what they think they're doing. But what it comes off as is like, hey, uh, I'm just telling I wouldn't watch this show, but I but I did. Yeah, you know, there's value in confession for them. 
It's like, ooh, yeah. glad I got that off my chest. Back to sinning. You're like, <laughs> it's like, oh, my pearls, a gay dude. <laughs> I also like that. You know, oh, you know those people who exist in real life and we see every day, all the time, lots of places. Oh my god, they put one in a TV show. Can you believe that? Well, I got to make everything gay. Everything's so gay now. <laughs> uh, you can't. Gotta, you just got to make everything gay now. <laughs> liberal agenda they're trying to make whoever has the problem with it that's just it means the the liberal agenda is kind of working on it because they're they're trying to make him gay they're trying to make everything gay so he's uh <laughs> the ones who talk about it the most are the ones who are it's like the the cracks are starting to show in the surface uh, yeah they'll get them yeah. they'll get them like i assure you it might happen you... in the back alley of a nasty ass city but it no, it, it maybe in the back of a mid-sized sedan, but it's it'll happen. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe him and his buddy just sitting in a, you know, in like an ice shanty somewhere, yeah, and the shanty. lights are low, the heater's going, it's chilly, so they're sitting close. Yeah, uh, one guy drops his pole, and the and they just like bends down to grab it, and they just like <laughs> they both bend at the same time, and their hands touch, and then they just. <laughs> They just lick each other's teeth. And then their <laughs> lips get stuck to each other's because it's so cold. And they're stuck like that. And then someone has to find them. And they have to come up with a reason, a real good explanation for why their lips are stuck together that's not gay. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine the panic that would ensue? <laughs> they would cut you're their like, lips off. I'm not leaving like, this shanty like this. We're going to drill a bigger hole, and we're just going to kill ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> they would... <they'd, laughs> They'd just start arguing about who was the one that did it, and they'd call each other, you're gay. You know, you're gay. Yeah, while well, their faces are stuck together. <laughs> you're gay. No, you're gay. Oh, you're gay. You did this. <laughs> oh, my God. You That's got to be it. Did you uh, make any New Year's resolutions? Um, I don't know if I really made any, like, official, official ones. I feel like I just need to do everything more consistently. Yeah, like I uh, can't do that normally. I don't know. I, I, I know that like routine is good for people, and it's also good for me. But I just despise it. Like, there's very few things that I do on a regular basis, like that I do routinely that I don't just hate. Like brush your teeth, wash your hands, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't wash my hands. I do brush my teeth, but you know. Um, the only thing I can manage to do routinely is like eat. Yeah. Most people don't <laughs> struggle with that. I, yeah, I'm trying to think of what I do. I mean, what I do routinely. I don't feel like I have, what kind of, what are you thinking of? Like, what's something specific that you would like, what, what, what are you trying to generate a routine around or what do you think would be beneficial? Like I have a reputation at work for like not checking my email. Okay. <laughs> and it's like what all important things come to, but like, it's like where all important messages come through, but there's like 4% of them that are important messages. And then 96% that is just garbage. Yeah. Or like people send a lot of emails that I'm like, I, why? Like we don't need to have this in print or like you could just text me or what, you know, but I hate doing it, so I'm 
pretty bad about doing it. And then I'll miss something that's important and somebody will be upset with me and like, it's dumb. I should just, I should be able to just check my email like <laughs> once a day or something like that. But uh, I, I hate it and I'd rather die. Yeah, I get you. So you have to, you want to like, it's like block out a time. You're like this is email checking time. I just do emails at 11 AM for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Routine. I need to do like that kind of stuff. Like check my email at least once a day i need to exercise at least once a day which yeah. i do better at that i enjoy that more but i like i like doing things i don't really i don't love doing like exercise for the sake of exercise but if it was like hey uh here's a giant stack of wood just like every day go out and chop wood for an hour like that i would be fine with yeah that's an interesting way to think about that because i think i i guess i would feel more inclined to want to do something like that than to just go like move a bar up and down for 45 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever people do, however long people do it for. I don't know. Uh, I, that's really, dude, I think that's, well, I mentioned the muscle spasm I had in my uh, trapezius muscles. Those that's been an issue for me um, since I was like 19, 20 years old. Uh, It happens more and more. And I'm, I'm mostly in discomfort regularly if not a little bit of pain so i i mean I, we haven't put a ton of videos out of this but you can see me do this like a lot which is like these weird little stretches or put my head down to the side because i'm just trying to stretch out those muscles because they're like always tight so i do strange head movements publicly i think that i don't even realize that i'm doing until i'm looking at a camera while i'm doing it uh is when it's more like oh yeah you do look like a weirdo in most situations so everybody just thinks you're trying to look down their their shirt yeah <laughs> uh so i i really want to like i've i've done like physical therapy like years ago to try to like deal with it a little bit but i think this i really want to try and fucking deal with it this year i it's and just kind of just maintain my health overall health more like i finally had an eye exam for the the first one i had in like five or six years and it's like i have to wear glasses to see and i need a new prescription i need i don't know just like i I think this is the first time like new year's resolutions i don't really make them because they don't really i don't it's like i'm gonna work out every day i'm gonna drink less i that is an intention of mine too though is uh definitely drink less uh I should probably make a more specific goal so i can actually attain something (laughs) instead of just tell myself i won't drink and then maybe i do maybe i don't so i'll i'll work out the specifics of that one but just kind of fucking 34 dude and being in this much discomfort all the time it sucks and i feel like if there's anything i need to do it's figure out how to like make a slow recovery so that way like by the time i'm 40 i can't i'm i don't want to be like stuck and not being able to do much or get to a point some people you know you get to a point where like any little like because i've tried to like start exercising more but i think i overdo it and then i end up having a muscle spasm and that sets everything back and like you get to a point where like you get it's almost like when you watch like uh like my was it my 600 pound life or my 700 pound life or something like that where like they sodies they get they get too so big that they can't even they can't even work out anymore like their workouts is just like do 10 tv remote lifts uh in a row and then we'll maybe try to do more tomorrow it's like i don't want to i don't want to like be so far gone that every time i try to do something about it it just i can't you know 
Yeah. I'm fortunate, man. I somehow I've just you can still lift the TV remote, so you are fortunate. That is, yeah, I can do that. I can do it among many things, but uh, I never have like ended up with any like lasting injuries. Like, I don't have back problems, I don't have feet problems, I don't have anything. I did break my hand in a motorcycle accident. That's right. It doesn't really bother me, but uh, my one hand is too fat to fit through short sleeves shirt sleeves so i have to unbutton them every time like to get a jacket off or whatever just one of your hands are you being serious yeah dude my right hand is just like this pudgy little mitt with the the bones all mashed up in there and <laughs> did you did you go to a doctor when you broke it or just let him heal crooked? yeah it was well it was one of those things where the doctor looked at it i don't know how qualified he was but he looked at it and where, he was like where was well, this doctor this was in Howell, Michigan. Okay. So was it in an actual doctor's office or is it in it like the hospital. warehouse of a Whole Foods, like the back section of a Whole Foods or something? No, it was in a hospital. That's where they took me the to uh, travel out you of You ran into life. him in the essential oils aisle. <laughs> yeah. He's like, have you tried injecting urine? <laughs> <laughs> or putting it into your eye with a dropper. That's, I like that one. I haven't, but I will. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not using my own though. I'm going to use uh, my dog Django's, the kind that kills grass. <laughs> yeah. Well, how else do you think you're going to kill the uh, the the toxins? I guess is what you're trying to get rid of. To- it's always toxins we're trying to get rid of, right? Yeah, toxins, impurities, all of that. Yeah. The uh, yeah, but he just looked at he did an X-ray on my hand and he was like, "Well, look," he goes, "You can uh, get surgery." And get a bunch of pins and stuff put in there. But he's like, I don't know if it's going to increase your mobility or not. You could also just kind of like let it heal and see how it does. And if that doesn't go well, we can just mash it up again and try try later. <laughs> we just hit it with like a wily Coyote mallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, put it in a cast, let it form to a certain shape like Jello. <laughs> Perfect. It's, it's a, you just have to put it in a mold. Yeah. <laughs> the uh okay so the other resolution that i have is like we have got to like get out and meet some people yeah uh we we're so bad about that like we're hermits you know we live like way out in the middle of nowhere like we're 30 minutes from town yeah to start with so it's really easy to just stay here and plus we like doing things here we like doing outside stuff and hiking and all of that kind of crap but we're going to have to make like an actual effort to go meet some new people. And that's awful. Making friends in your thirties sucks. It does. I know I was, and then you start thinking about like, okay, well, where, how, what am I, you know, how do we do this? And I was thinking, you know, maybe we take a class or something like that. Or I remember my buddy Davis for a while was like going to, you remember the chive, the, the jive. The chive. The chive. It was like if you distilled an annoying fraternity dude down into like a soup and then let it simmer over low heat until it like coagulated. If you turn that into a website, it was the chive. Oh, it was okay. pretty annoying. But he was going to like quote chiver meetups, and I was like, I, I, that sounds so awful. Like I don't want to meet anyone who shows up to a chiver meetup. Yeah, I don't. I don't know this well enough, but your explanation of it is uh, makes me would make me want to distance myself from that. 
Yeah, it, well, it's like uh, it's like you're talking earlier about the uh, the Let's Grow Brandon race. Yeah, like the group that was chanting that they were big fans of the Chive, guaranteed. Yeah. Like okay, two thousand nine. Yeah, that's that's adding some clarity. I'm surprised there isn't like I feel like this is such a problem for people in their thirties. Um, I'm surprised there isn't. Maybe there is, uh, and I'm just not aware of it. But apps for couples looking to make new friends <laughs> like in a very Basically platonic like dating way. apps but for a couple friends yeah, yeah. like matching by six... interests you can go for a fucking hike you can meet up at a dog park you can i don't know i feel like maybe maybe some of these apps do have just categories for friendship uh but they're not known yeah, for was... it they're known Craigslist. for people trying to what fuck was platonic platonic encounters or something like that on yeah. craigslist i think craigslist got rid of all their meetup stuff because there's just too many people got murdered or something like that <laughs> yeah there's so many things that like i want the ability to just instantly like veto a couple though if we do go out with them like if they if they immediately like start making comments about borrowing money like out yeah on if they uh, make comments about like if they start making little like jokes and innuendos and stuff about being uh, swingers out. Yep, instantly gone. Why is that such a thing? I don't. I don't understand why that is like. It's like the older you get, the more of it there is. People get tired of the same person, and so they, I guess, so they look for a little excitement on the outside. Like you're sick of your husband. Like I don't like your husband already. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't you just get a new one? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's for people who are just don't have the balls to get divorced. Just get divorced, like a normal person. No. <laughs> it's like a, that, that. The couple that does that is like I'm sure there's people who do that that like are normal, reasonable adults. Yeah. And they just kind of live their lives, and that's it. But like the ones that I always see are the ones that like post about it incessantly on social media. Right. They need everyone to know about it. It's like it it's has like to be their identity. Mm-hmm. I, dude, I do not. I don't even want to go to Applebee's with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I take the uh, Tom Segura. Uh, I think he put it really well because it was like they watched some video of someone who was like into pup play and just was going to come out to her parents and stuff. And he's just like, just like in a general, like generally speaking, why is it so important for these people to have their parents know what makes them come? Like, <laughs> and I think that's what's really stuck with me. It's just like, does everyone need to know? Is that your identity? Like, I think there's Other a lot of things are that are part of my identity, but like, I don't need everyone to know what makes me come. And I don't plan on telling my parents uh, and coming out to them with that uh, information. So buys a lot of balloons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, it's it's true. It, well, and at some point, like, okay, there's people talking about it within a community of people who are all into that, and like, I guess, I mean, that's a different thing. When it's somebody just kind of like shouting it to the general public, it's like, well, now is the general public kind of a part of your fetish thing here like is it's exhibitionism at that point maybe yeah a little bit of that yeah and like i don't i just don't want to be a part of your performance like, yeah i hope our uh hopefully our uh the guest that we're going to introduce shortly is 
loves this conversation before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah ask, let's get out of here. <laughs> ask him to promote the uh, <laughs> promote the episode. He's like, hey, everyone, listen to this, and then they'll listen to like, the first twenty minutes and be like, uh, okay. Well, let's just give the uh, general disclaimer that like everything's fine and nothing you could ever want could be bad or harmful or negative for you personally. Do all the things all as loud as you want forever. As long as it makes you happy <laughs> and cut toxic yeah. people out of your life. And anyone who and, says otherwise is toxic and cut them out of your life too. Never listen exactly. to anyone. Only follow your heart. Trust your instincts. All that good shit. Perfect. Once there was a man who did exactly this. Anyone who disagreed with him, he got rid of him. And he went on to lead one of the biggest nations in our lifetime, the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, I think that speaks volumes. You Amen. Know, you, you be the Stalin of your social circle. Be the Stalin that you want to see in the world. I get it. <laughs> I think that's how the phrase goes. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Our guest this week is we're crazy. We've been holding on to it for a minute. Super excited about it. It was, God, such an awesome, awesome conversation with Brady Fanatic Goodwin uh, from the Cross Movement. Uh, Brady had recently, a little, maybe a little over a year ago, two years ago, I forget the exact timeline on it, but he came out as like, after being so gun ho for the gospel, he was like, I'm actually just not a Christian anymore. And that certainly upset some people, but uh, he's been on a journey. Holy shit. It, and it, we really got into it. Uh, we went deep into the history of the cross movement. Uh, hearing the way he talked about it um, with a fondness. It, some people go certain directions, right? Like, I'm not a Christian anymore. And they have, it's like everything that was associated with their Christian identity becomes something they're uncomfortable with or they don't want to talk about, or uh, they might speak of with like kind of a negativity, but not him. Uh, I, I loved just getting into the history of the cross movement and how they did something unique and special and how that the talent and the timing kind of just sent them on this trajectory. Uh, and then after that, we get into sort of his, his, the beginning stages of his deconstruction and then how that led to, to where he's at now. Um, and God, it was just one of my favorites. Uh, one of my favorite conversations we've had. Uh, it's just, Super Sometimes you like think guy. of you're like okay, what can I ask next? You're thinking of a question. You want to have good questions. I don't think this is just you were just along for the ride. He was he answered like you would he would answer questions so well too. It would just be like Bing, 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 Bing. Here's that, and then you got the answer to like that chunk, and it was just like you just kind of kept going through that. I loved it. I, I was he was such a good interview. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy, and uh, you know his book is definitely worth a read. Um, it's, it's nuanced. I think it gives a good perspective on, on leaving the church and, and why you might and all that kind of stuff. Um, so his, his most recent book, he's done a couple of different books, but his most recent one is let there be gaslight. Does the Bible tell the truth about our creation, fall and redemption? And I mean, I think you can get this pretty much anywhere. The books are sold Amazon, especially, but probably through his website and whatnot. But, uh, Yeah. Great conversation, and it was really cool. I was a cross movement fan back in the day. My buddies and I all listened to them a lot, so it was it was fun to talk to them. Um, if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend, leave a review wherever you listen to it, and if you want to join in the conversation, we have a Discord server. 
send us a message on Instagram or wherever, and we'll send you a link to that. And without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Brady Goodwin Jr. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Brady Fanatic Goodwin. Uh, Brady, man, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So there's a lot of ground we want to cover, but before we get into any of the, the meteor stuff, I ran through a few of the early cross movement albums on my way to and from work today. Now, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't overly familiar with it at the time, but mm-hmm. one of the things that really stuck out to me today was the production. Mm-hmm. the beats are sick like yeah. i was like i could still see i could still hear people rapping over these beats oh yeah especially as as east east coast uh soundscapes are making a comeback yeah as lyricism is making a comeback so that's sort of what we were were known for so yeah yeah Dude, i, I had it. uh i had holy culture mm. and i remember i found out about you guys because so my buddy jesse was in one of those like you remember those goofy little like cd clubs that people would get and like it's like you joined the club oh, yeah, and then yeah, it was yeah. like 1500 CDs for 30 cents each or whatever. Yeah. So he always had like all of the new like mm. Christian music because that's all we listened to. And I remember him like making me uh, he would make me like a tape mm-hmm. with uh, with his little like boombox thing because my truck didn't have a CD <laughs> player. Early piracy. And I oh, remember yeah, like sure. turning up. Uh, I think it was the second song on uh, on holy culture where it's mm. got that kind of like uh eastern sort of instrumental intro to it oh wow yeah 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 and uh just making my my speakers <laughs> in my truck just go rattle uh-huh. <laughs> just that awful <laughs> buzzing noise yeah uh. <laughs> yeah i think it's so fun because i feel like a lot of times you go back and listen to hip-hop from the 90s and it, it's kind of it's in this like nostalgia zone mm-hmm. where you hear that and you're like 90s hip-hop but like yeah you could just play the beats and I'd be like, yeah, I could, I'm, that sounds yeah. like people are using that now. I, who like the, well, do we want to start? I'll just start here. Okay. Uh, production. Who did the, so when you did the first, the, for the first album, like what was the, uh, who did the production on that? Was that you guys or did you do that? Everything with the was for the most part in house. So cross movement was about six to seven guys. And three of them were top-notch producers. So one of them was uh, DJ Earthquake. Mm-hmm. Another one was uh, True Life, who's one of the rappers in Cross Movement. The other one was Ambassador, who was um, another rapper from Cross Movement. But then, so that was like for the first album. You got me thinking that. That was for the first <laughs> album. By the time we did the second album in, two, in 1999, I guess, 98, 99, by then DJ uh, Official had come on board. And when DJ Official came on board, um, he just took over. And so a lot of what we wrapped over from the late 90s to early 2000s was a lot of DJ Official beats. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. So let's, I want to hear about you and your life and how you even, how the whole cross moving thing started. Mm. Uh, you've, I feel like you've, your life has spanned a lot of different things now that I'm uh, trying yeah. to, like, how are we going to cram this in? I hope you get some time. Yeah. But, um, so where, where, let's start with where you grew up. I grew up in inner city, Philadelphia, um, South Philly first, and then a place called Logan, um, and then Germantown. Well, I didn't grow up in Germantown. I live in Germantown now. I've been here for about 12 years, but mostly South Philly and Logan. So, nice. and then, 
And so your family, I mean, did you grow up in a religious household? Is it something that you found later on? Um, so I remember being taken to church in the like maybe six, seven, eight years old. I remember walking down long blocks in the cold going to church. And there's pictures of me singing on choirs, but I was too young to remember. I mean, I had to be like probably like five or six or something. And then we stopped going to church for about maybe six years. And so there wasn't really much church from ages maybe six to 12. And then around age 12, we started going back to church. And there was a youth group. And I got very involved in a youth group so that even when my sisters had stopped going, my mother was still going, but I would go on my own. I would take a bus. I would take three buses, really, across town. Oh, wow. Uh, several times a week. So Sunday was church, but Friday night it was the youth group. So I'm taking, you know, hour and a half long trip across the city on the bus every Friday night, hoping to get a ride home from somebody. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I would, sometimes I wouldn't. So I'm catching the bus back home, me and, me and one of my best friends at the time. And then Saturday choir rehearsal, same thing. Um, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, church. Um, and at the time, none of it was, none of it had anything to do with wanting a relationship with God. It just was a very uh, pop and social environment for, a, you know, for a teen. The girls were cute. Right. Friends were there. Um, I was a, you know, outgoing kid. And so, you know, I had my, my, my neighborhood, I had school, then I had church, I had three social circles that I could just go and, you know, be me or learn who I was and have fun. So um, yeah. that was most of my growing up. Yeah. So if you're if you have like your those separate social circles, if you're taking an hour, like an hour and a half bus ride to get to church, was like was like your church social circle and your school were those like completely separate, like totally different bubbles? For the most part, I had so maybe I'm lying too. Maybe not an hour and a half, depending on how long it took for the buses to come. Probably about an hour, ten minutes one way, okay. an hour, ten minutes the other. But um, my best friend, we lived in the same neighborhood. Both of our mothers worked for the IRS. We met in church, ended up going to the same high school. And so he was in just about all of my social circles. And some of the girls from uh, the church went to the high school too. Uh, but other than that, they were three completely different circles. And I was I was kind of three different people in each of those circles. Yeah. And, yeah. That was I was gonna ask because what so what did that look like? Uh, how did those three separate entities kind of exist? Like, <laughs> was it like just what, what's the show I, I mean, rating? I, I first of like all, figure, but is this is this a, is this rated oh, G PG? No or? holds barred. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> you can uh, go wild. Um, all so I mean, welcome, all content welcome. Right. Well, I mean, in church on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays, I was I was the good version of me, uh, so not cursing and trying to be helpful and sticking around afterwards to help fold up chairs and, you know, singing on, you know, little ensembles and choirs and whatever. Um, that was in church. Uh, in school, I was getting straight Fs, uh, <laughs> cutting every class I could cut, just in the hallway playing around or, you know, making out with girls in the stairwell or, you know, in the neighborhood, I was <laughs> riding around the city with the older guys, just trying to do what they were doing. But because, and this is the funny thing, my church circle bled into the others because it kept me from, call it the fear of God or whatever, it kept me from going too wild. So I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking, I wasn't selling drugs. I just was there with everybody who was because um, I felt like I couldn't do too much without the God that I saw on the weekends 
you know, showing up like, hey, you know, cut out all that noise, you know, just yeah, like yeah. a parent just trying to, you know, <laughs> clamp down on the fun. So, yeah, that's that's sort of how I would look at that. Did you, you uh, were, so did you eventually, did you get more like, uh, did you have like a spiritual connection to church or Christianity or whatever? I mean, did that develop over time? It, it actually, not over time, it came, you know, it had like a Damascus Road experience. Um, so up until the age of 15, it meant nothing to me other than, you know, I think my grandmother told me when I was a kid, she said, um, uh, she said, prayer is like food for your spirit. And if you don't pray, it's like you're not feeding your spirit. Like your spirit will like starve or something. And she told me that when I was a kid and every single night, no matter how wild I was living and no matter what I was doing, I prayed every single night from the time she told me that until I had my salvation experience. But other than that, praying every night, there was no connection to, there was no God consciousness or anything like that. Um, but around age 16, that's when I had my, like I said, my Damascus road, as it were, uh, where I, I opened the Bible on my own for the first time for a pretty nefarious reason. I think I was, I was trying to like use, you know, spirituality to like get more church girls. I figured if I read the Bible, I could like, <laughs> I could seem deep, you know, yeah. I could seem deep. Gotta get familiar service. with the material yeah. here. Exactly. Um, but I kind of like tried to make a bargain with God, like, hey, if I do this spiritual thing for you, like if I lead this youth service or whatever, um, you got to make it like real spiritual so the girls are like pay attention to me. Um, and so I, I I made this bargain with God where I was like, yo, if I if I don't curse this week, if I don't cut school this week, if I don't fight this week, if I don't sleep with any girls this week, then you got to, you know, give me some spiritual juice so I can. And in the process, I said, OK, and I'm going to read the Bible just so I can get some, you know, analogies or metaphors, get something deep to say. And I, I went through the week. There was a youth service coming up that somebody asked me to, to lead. So I was preparing for that. And uh, I got about halfway through the week and I was like, yo, I didn't curse. I didn't fight. You know, I walked away from a fight, actually. Um, no girls. And then at some point I said, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to read the Bible, too. Let me go do that. And so when I went to read the Bible, I just plopped it open to the, you know, you open the Bible to the middle. You, you're in the Psalms. And I read Psalm 90, just verses one and two. When I read those two verses, it introduced me to the concept of eternity and a being who, as scripture says, he inhabits eternity. And so just this concept of timelessness and a being who outlasts everlasting, like that's, I kind of just looked up, like, I remember sitting on the edge of my bed and looking up at the, at the sky out the window, like, who are you? Like, how can you? Uh, Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before you made the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And when I read those words, everlasting to everlasting, I was like, yo, how do you get to be? Like, how does your timeline go all the way that way and all the way that way? I just remember looking up at the sky, like, who are you? And so that was kind of like a, a, a lightning bolt moment where I just was, I was struck with this concept of God. And I think I sort of became a God worshiper at that point. Stop cursing permanently, stop, you know, fighting, started making A's and B's in school from F's to A's and B's. Um, and about a, maybe six or seven months of just reading the Bible, worshiping, taking God serious. And then I met other brothers who were, there was no Christian hip hop at the time, but they were doing it. And when I met them, I was like, yo, I'm like, I'm zealous for, for my faith too. I never thought about expressing it. 
had never written a rap before. But when I met these guys, they were so ahead of the game, not just in their skill level, but just in the faith. Like they had a handle on the gospel. And I remember going to their shows. This is like 1994, 93, 94. I'm going to their shows and they're giving the gospel at their shows. And I'm sitting in a crowd like I grew up in church and I never heard this. Like I never heard this evangelical, you know, message. Yeah. And it it melted my heart. It won me over. And uh, so I I think I went from being God conscious, sort of like Cornelius in, uh, in Acts, right? He was going around preaching John's baptism. And then this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they met, uh, um, no, not Cornelius. Um, who is it? Uh, oh, I don't know what's Apollos. Apollos is going around preaching John's gospel, uh, John's baptism. He meets Aquila and Priscilla and they're like, yo, you seem like you don't know the full deal. <laughs> and so they take him under their wing and they give him the gospel. And then he's off and running, like rivaling Paul in his apostleship or whatever. Um, I said all that to say, so yeah, it was Damascus Road, reading the Bible, I became God conscious. And then almost a half a year later, met some brothers who really like exposed me to the gospel. And once I got the gospel, it was like, okay, now we're spoiled. And that was around 94, 95 in that, in that area. Okay. Yeah. That's so weird to, how different that is than like so many of the uh, mm. salvation stories that you hear from people, you know, I mean, like, you basically have like a spiritual epiphany mm-hmm. brought on by your own, like, you know, you pursued that on your own. Yeah. And I feel like so much of what, you know, we hear, and I think Sam and I are somewhat in the same boat is like, you know, uh, deeply underwhelmed or disappointed mm. in yourself. Mm. And so like the message of, Mm. you know, you aren't good enough and God's going to fix it. And, mm. You know, you need to lean it. Like it's, it's kind of more of a guilt and shame. I mean, not to say that that's absolutely bad or negative or anything, but mm-hmm. that just seems to be the route that a lot of evangelicalism yeah. goes. Well, but I mean, I got there. I got to that point. Cause like I said, it was, there was a God consciousness at first before ever getting to the gospel. But once I got to the gospel, it was like, Oh, it makes sense. That's why I can't, you know, stop doing the bad things or even though I had stopped some of them, I knew, I mean, we're human. We have our own idiosyncrasies, our own inclinations, our own call it lust or whatever it is, youthful lust as scripture calls it. And so there's certain things I'm like, man, that's why I could never fully, you know, get quote unquote victory over this particular sin or even if it was just in my thought life or whatever. So you hear the gospel and, and you do get this sense of, oh, I'm so sinful that I need to be reborn. It's not just I need to do better because in my God conscious stage, it was, I'm going to do better. So I started making A's and B's because I'm doing better. Um, you know, um, yeah, I think I wasn't even going around preaching, like be good or go to hell, <laughs> which is not the gospel, but I was preaching that. Um, and then when I heard the gospel, oh, I can't be good enough. I need to be reborn. So it's interesting because when people hear that I, I'm no longer a Christian, they, um, I have two responses. Some people want to completely discount my, like you were never a Christian then. Yeah. And others are like, no, we know your salvation experience is just as legit as what I went through. So you, <laughs> you still are a Christian. You just don't know it. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> someone to take it away. Someone to still like put the, the mantle on me. Like you can't get rid of it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's wild, man. To think of, cause like Casey was saying, a lot of us kind of like, well, I, we were super born into it, man. Mm. Like we were just born into evangelical mm. homes. So uh, that's all I knew. 
and you start you do internalize some of it and you're like you so you get the guilt you're like i gotta do these right things because it's the right thing because mm-hmm. if you don't then maybe you're not a christian and then you go down so you're already thinking about that as mm-hmm. like or we're thinking about that as kids but like <laughs> stories like yours are really neat to me because and we could suss this out a little bit later on when we get to kind of where you're at mm-hmm. now but it's like the idea of having like when people have these authentic conversion experiences and then like that changed you like you yeah. i mean to, yeah. to just go back to, to go to school and be like go from f's to a's i mean you're i imagine like your uh your mom or whatever was like oh wow this is a good thing like, i remember my mother i would leave for school and i remember her being on her knees in her room praying for me because i was a hellraiser like so there's another social circle i had church school the block but also at my house like there was a whole other social dynamic just in my house i was a hellraiser in my home like always breaking curfew disrespectful you know all that I remember her being on her knees every morning praying. And I know when, when even before I got a hold of the gospel, just in my God conscious stage, that was like an answer to her prayers. Like she was like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, it, it hits you, you start going to school, you're like, it, and it, I just, I always, cause then you have to figure out like, well, what was that? Like what, mm, yeah. what changed in me yeah. now that I don't believe it was what I thought it was then right. mm. you can't deny that something happened yeah. and, it, yeah. and for you it wasn't like a guilt or shame thing at the, you might have inherited that later on but mm. at that time it's just like oh this is it, it, it seems from what you're saying that it was like real deal kind of shit well and so this is the thing like <sighs> hmm. i don't want to be insulting or offend anyone but <laughs> it's almost like if you i've never done therapy but i've seen uh, you know, scenes where they they have somebody like pretend your father's in this chair. Uh-huh. Say what you want to say to your father, right? Imagine that on a larger scale. If you if you just project the image of a being who's who's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, all the omnis, and you you you've never seen him, you've never heard his voice, but if you learn enough about about his mo. You know, these people, are, they're going to tell you about him. They're going to tell you stories about what he did in the past and how he's behind the scenes pulling strings now and what he's going to do in the future. And his mind is laid out in print. You know, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so you get this you get this makeup of this being that you've never seen, but you, you feel like or you're taught that you're living in the display of his attributes. You know, Romans 1. Look around you. This is the result of that being. So you start attributing to this being all these things, and you you look around and you see that you're you're the beneficiary of all these things. And you, so you start attributing more actions and more attributes, and you're reading about. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like you're projecting this image of someone. You've almost like Mr. Potato Head, like you've put all these pieces <laughs> onto this being. And then you keep reading the Bible, you keep reading about all these acts that he's done, and that helps you interpret your life. Like, oh, maybe he's doing this. So long answer to your question of what was it? It was really great projection. It was really great, you know, imagine there's someone, and this someone, it, it, he answers all the gaps in our knowledge of how did this get here, and why is it here, and where is it going? I was responding to that gap that got filled in. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it's a powerful thing to to believe there's someone in that chair and sort of attributing actions to them. And 
not just actions to them, but this being has love for you and thinks of you, you know, knows the you know, number of hairs on your head. And it's, it's a powerful, I hate to say this because I feel like it might offend someone, but it's a powerful myth. Yeah. So when you were are- the, Were the girls impressed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? To be honest, I didn't even care anymore. Like, that's how powerful it was. Once I got turned on to this God conscious, this God concept that I didn't care. I didn't care about the girls. I didn't care about, about much other than representing this, like, yo, there's a relationship we're missing out on. Yeah. I just wanted everyone to know about it, even if I didn't understand it all yet. I'm like, yo, we're missing out on a relationship with someone. I don't even care if you like me anymore. I don't care. Yeah. You know, there's a term that I came up with for this exact state that you're describing, and it's called being on fire for God. <laughs> that might catch you on. You guys can that use might, that. That might uh, catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when you start getting into, like you, you find these guys who are doing like the Christian hip hop thing, mm. were these, uh, were, did they go on to do, was this like, was this just a local thing or are these people who like you ended no, up connecting? These with are the people that were in the cross movement when the okay. cross movement became a nationally, you know, known recording group. It yeah. started as just guys in the city who, yo, you too? Oh, yo, you too? And that, that became cross movement at some point. So you, I mean, you're a teenager. You're like, you said you were like 16, 17 when yeah. you started getting connected with those people. Yeah. What were your, uh, what were your musical influences before that? Like, what were you, what were you listening to? Uh, the best of the eighties, the best of the early nineties. So Slip yeah. Rick, Big Daddy Kane, EPMD, Redman, Buster Rhymes, uh, Ice Cube. Uh, hieroglyphics from the west coast yeah man yeah <laughs> so all of that like there was no way i was not going to be like I, I never planned to rap i just loved what these guys were doing i loved the rewind factor i love when i had to rewind stuff to understand it like yo, he's doing something I, I could tell he's doing something let me go back and hear what he's doing uh yeah those are my guys and like That's what awesome. what year are we talking about so for in terms of being influenced by the music? Well, like like when you started like do like making music with these guys. Uh so ninety-two going into ninety-three somewhere late ninety-three, I think. Late ninety-three. Yeah. And did this occupy a lot of your high school time where you did you just like thrust it and get like so thrust this yourself into the music? Through my eleventh grade in high school. And I had gotten left back in seventh grade, so I was a year behind. But midway through my 11th year in high school is when I met uh, one of the guys. And I, I actually, I didn't mean to. I actually lied to him because I tried to recruit him to come to the youth group. I just saw him hanging out and he looked pretty like, he looked pretty cool. I said, oh, you should come to the youth group. Like I, I was, if I can borrow your, your, your term, I was on fire. Um, and so I just being, made 10 cents. <laughs> being on fire, I tried to recruit him to come to the youth group. He said, nah, I'm not going to come. Uh, the kids ain't going to like me. This guy was like a, a year or a year and a half older than me. I'm like, why won't they like you? You seem like it. He said, well, I'm kind of radical for my faith. I said, yo, I'm getting to be the same way. And then he said, yeah, well, I rap for the Lord. I was like, I had never heard any like Christian rap before that wasn't corny. And I know this had to be late 92 because Redman's album had just come out. So I was like, spit something. And this dude kicked the verse. It was Enoch. Enoch is, was part of Cross Movement. Um, he kicked this verse and it blew me away so much that I lied to him. I said, yo, I do the same thing. 
<laughs> that's a tough lie to backfill. Did he ask and you to spit something in return? He was supposed to. Like that's what you do when someone says you rap. Like he told me he rap. I said spit something. I have no idea why he didn't say that. Because if he would have said your turn, spit something, I would have been played. <laughs> but for whatever reason, at that time I counted it to like, yo, God was being gracious to me. But for whatever reason, he said, let's get together tomorrow. And he write knew you were rap. lying, but he saw your potential. He must have. He must have. <laughs> I'm not going to shame him, but maybe it was in my eyes or something. Just like mercy, see the fire. Yeah, We're doing it. We got this. So we said, let's get together tomorrow and write some raps. I was like, bet. So I ran home and I wrote like five corny Christian raps to make this guy think I had been doing it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but he came over the next day, and it's so funny now when I think about it because it's like early night. It's like 92, 93. There were no cell phones. I don't even know how we got together the next day, but we did. And uh warrior pigeon. Yeah, you know what I mean? Um <laughs> but we started he let me start rap. I was I was so corny when I started. I know I was. I, I just had zeal. And but he let me start rapping with him. He was, and he, this guy, the reason why I mentioned Redman was one to date the year, but two, this guy was blowing Redman out the wall. Like he made Redman look like an amateur. That's how good he was. And I don't know why he let me start rapping with him. And so me and this guy started a group. And um, then we met other people, Ambassador and True Life. Uh, there was no cross movement. It was just, you know, groups in the city. And uh, that was that was around 93 going into 94 when we met them. And so just little by little, we just kept adding on to, yo, you two? Oh, him too? Oh, them too? And it just ex- expanded. Yeah. Man, that must have been so cool because, like you said, there wasn't like a, there wasn't like a Christian hip hop scene. So, like, Casey and I came up on, like, early, like, we were like metal and hardcore kids, the whole, okay. that whole thing. So we came up on that in the like early two thousands when we like got into that. And for us that like mm. being growing up in Christianity, like there wasn't a lot of options for us musically that, that we liked. And then mm. when we started getting introduced to this, we we're like, Oh my God, this kind of, this hits what we're looking for, but mm. we can also like, it gets it. We can tell our parents it's Christian and they'll be okay with it. Like you don't, they don't, normally they hear that and you're like, Oh my God, we're not letting this filth into our house. Yeah. But for us, it was like, Oh, this is like, it, it was like life-saving. We found the music mm. that we needed. And Culture, they, man. Culture is a strong connection. Yeah. yeah. It connected us with friends and mm-hmm. made lasting bonds. So for you have finding that when that didn't exist and then finding all these people to like graft into it and pop yeah. up, that must've been fucking life-giving dude. Yo, it, it felt like, so I always say to people, it felt like my faith was on steroids and it felt like my culture was on steroids because usually you don't, you don't wear the two at the same time. Sure. You zip yeah. off your culture and zip on your faith and then you zip off your faith and zip on your culture. And so to be able to wear them both at the same time, it, it was, it was mind blowing. And I don't know what would have happened had I not met this guy because I was just doing the church thing. You know, I probably would have, you know, been just a, you know, button up, hard bottom shoes, you know, slacks wearing, Bible carrying. I wouldn't have been cool at all. I just would have been, I would have been godly, but I wouldn't have been. Um, You'd be wearing pleated khakis to church to Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, but having met this dude, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how he got it in his head that he could wear his culture and faith at the same time. I've never seen anyone do it. Yeah. So when did, so you, when did. You guys, like, so you did that for a good few years before. Like, when did you start feeling like, oh shit, we're gaining some traction with this? So I graduated high school in 95. We started like getting this synergy and momentum probably in 94, where it just felt like 
like this is special. Like the same way I felt when when Enoch rapped for me, I knew that that feeling that it gave me that there was there was I'm not I wasn't thinking about it in a capitalistic way, but it was almost like yo this is like lightning in a bottle here. Like this is what I want to do. I, I wasn't thinking about does it pay. I wasn't thinking about can I get a career doing this. It just was like this needs to happen, and it needs to keep happening. And then being you know having that sort of that great commission mandate, it was almost like, you know, you always, you know, Christians talk about the Roman roads, right? How it just seemed like God had set things up for the gospel to be able to spread because the Romans had come and had built roads and Greek had laid down the cultural, uh, you know, my with the language and all that. Um, it just seemed like something had been laid down that was so necessary um, that it had to continue. And so 94, 95, 96, it wasn't until 96 that we began thinking, okay, I made a tape of my raps. You like it. You made a tape of your raps. I like it. We need to find a way to give this to other people because I think they'll like it too. Yeah. Who's who's simultaneously like coming up, you know, at the same time? Because I remember like, I feel like that when I was, uh, when I was in like junior high, high school, when I was listening to a lot of like Christian rap and rock and stuff, it was tough because there wasn't like, I mean, you didn't have like the internet. It wasn't oh the gosh. tool that it is now. Oh so gosh. like you, you know, like I found your guys's album through mm -hmm. a friend. I remember like somehow seeing like an LA symphony music video <laughs> and finding out about them. And mm -hmm. so I, I remember I, I had to mail a check somewhere and then they mailed me a CD. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, this, Cheers this had to be happening no in other clue. places. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, who's your contemporaries in that, like, early stage then? So, because there was no internet, we didn't think there were any. Like, all of us thought we were the first ones and the only ones. And then we would hear other rap groups, and it was kind of like, a lot of them were on the West Coast, and we were kind of snobbish. I think the East Coast has just always been snobbish about if your sound don't sound like this sound, you're not doing real hip hop. And so it wasn't until I heard the Tunnel Rats yeah, that I thought, oh, there are other like real Christian rappers. Because before then, the guys that we heard was almost like, mm, now nah, you're not doing what we're doing. We heard Tunnel Rats and it was like, okay, this is hip hop. Um, so them, maybe, um, I guess you might say T-Bone, but even T-Bone and Gospel Gangsters sort of felt still like, foreign because of the the coastal difference okay yeah yeah uh, explain actually explain that a little bit what do you what, what was like how that feel how it felt different yeah so um even before the east coast west coast beef and hip-hop with biggie and, and and tupac um when when rap when hip-hop went to the the west coast nwa was sort of like the the premier group they introduced gangster rap and a lot of people on the East Coast were trying to figure out, are we going to start doing that? Are we going to start talking about drive-bys and using the okay. N-word? And are we going to do that? And slowly but surely through the early 90s, the East Coast began to become more lyrically violent and, and all that. Um, but even the sound was more laid back synthesizers, whereas the East Coast was more samples, breakbeats. Um, lyricism with the West Coast was was a lot more just about how it felt. I got you. So you like when you're talking about the different, you, you kind of just weren't like 
vibing with the sound. You're like, I don't know about that. The sound and the energy. Mm-hmm. The energy, like, you know, if I guess if I was a Christian, I, I might say the spirit behind the music. Um, <laughs> but there was just a different energy. Like, you know, the West Coast just it was more chill, more laid back. Laid back. It was so laid back, whereas the East Coast was more, you know, that New York feel, that smash mouth, hardcore, boom, bap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a different feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you start picking up, like, in your area, you start you start feeling like you're, Oh, we're getting, we're getting somewhere. People are responding to this. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's again, it's so funny, man. Cause you think of like how people try to, or how, how people blow up now or how y- you amass a following. It can, yeah. like, you get a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or whatever. Now it's like, Oh, maybe these people will be viable. But then it's like, you start doing well in your area. And then yeah. you like, Let's check. Let's try and get a show in this city. Let's try yeah. to get it. And you and you slowly expand that out. What did that What did that look like for you guys? So it, it was our tri-state. It was Philly, Jersey, New York. Okay. So we, we were bouncing back around, taking uh, the speed line, the train from Philly to Jersey, and then driving up to New York for shows and two or three shows a weekend. And, you know, churches, block parties, schools, uh, everywhere we could get. And, and you um, were booking this all on your own, just calling yeah, we, places? I mean, like Even to the end. We would never call anybody. People would always call us. Even to oh, wow. the end, from 94 to 2008, we never had managers. We never had booking agents. We never had any of that. It was all, all in-house. Um, so people would call us, and we would just fill the calls. And we would go wherever, you know, they were laying down the the, the welcome mat. Um, that's special, man. That's not yeah. – that's definitely uh, uncommon, I would I, – hmm. not that I, like – that well versed in how booking tours and taking care of the music business Mm -hmm. works but that feels like based on what i know from people who have done it that start especially when you're getting your when you're picking up that following to be able to have people reaching out to you seems uncommon did it that was that the case was that uncommon? we didn't know anything we didn't know any better um (laughs) but also i think it is like i said that lightning in a bottle we knew that what we were doing was special and rare. And at that time, it felt like, you know, the way I would have framed it is ordained. Like, this is what God wanted because it just felt so organic. And so I keep using the term necessary um, because when you really think about it, even though it has happened in terms of the older generation in the black church handing off the baton to the next generation, it's happened in non, I want to use the term urban, but when I say urban, I'm including hip hop and all that. It's happened in non-urban ways, or should I just say it's happened in traditional ways where there's still choirs and choir leaders and people like Ty Tribbett and things like that. But I venture to say, had it not been for Christian hip hop, had it not been for cross movement, the generation before ours would have had a hell of a time handing the baton to the next generation. Yeah, And so because that's what I mean when I say it, it just seems so necessary. And so because of that, I think there are a lot of things that we probably would have had to work for or pay for or plead for that we just didn't because we were filling in that gap. Yeah, it brought like a relevancy. It kept it. Yeah. It kept it relevant yeah. in a way that would be like, yeah. you don't have to like you didn't have to wear the button up in, in khakis anymore. Yeah. You could really be like your authentic self. Exactly. Exactly. We're always curious because we've talked to some Christian rock dudes and we've talked to some guys from Christian metal bands and Mm. stuff. We're always 
like curious about how the uh the Christian music industry was was it was it different? Did you get the impression that things were different for towards like Christian hip hop than they were towards like uh Reliant K or Oh yeah, for sure. You know. I mean Yeah, so what, we we had to learn the hard way that there was no roadway for us. And so we weren't we weren't gospel. So if you're black and you're in the Christian music industry, you're 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 gospel. Yeah, you go right. to Nashville. You submit your music to the you know Stella Awards, the GMAs, and all that kind of stuff. We weren't we weren't gospel. So if you're not gospel, what are you? CCM? Well, we weren't CCM either. Uh, Christian contemporary music. We weren't that either. But those were the avenues that were laid down for Christian music: radio, video, magazine. You either had to be gospel or CCM. Sure, and so yeah. we partnered with CCM labels and even they had a hard time trying to open certain doors to us. And so, yeah, it was, it was a tough road. We even started a campaign called why hip hop, why should the industry, the CCM, the Christian world, uh, help Christian hip hop be seen as and function as music missionaries. And so we had to start that campaign because the doors just were not open. The, the tracks were not laid for what we were doing. So, yeah. yeah. Especially, dude, I mean, CCM was, I mean, that's as like culturally white evangelical as it gets yep. too. Yep. So that must've been like kind of, that must've been kind of weird for you guys coming out of Philly and then trying to partner with, was there, was that, what was that like? For it you? wasn't really weird because I think because we were, we were what a lot of other Christian rap groups weren't. We were biblical in the sense that our lyrics were like, it was, it was a lot of theology. Like we were, because we came from the inner city of Philadelphia, where there's a lot of urban cults, we were, we were big on defending the faith. So our music was apologetic and it was theological. We had members who had been to Bible college. And, and so we were always, we were always indoctrinating. We were always, you know, giving people reasons for the faith. And so I think even though the CCM world was not used to the style, the content, the content made them say, oh, these guys are more biblically sound than some of our hallmark artists. And so even if they wanted to close the door to us, I almost feel like they, <laughs> the Christian part of the Christian music industry made them say, how can we not endorse these guys? Look at what they're saying. When, uh, when it came to like Christian rock, Cause it's, it's funny, uh, you know, like you said, we were really into like Christian metal and stuff eventually, but mm -hmm. I grew up like on all the, you know, POD and Cutlass and all of those Christian rock bands. And I feel like, uh, there's like a very distinct difference between how Christian metal was marketed as opposed to like Christian rock. Cause Christian rock was very much like, I think the, the, the Christian music industry looked at Christian rock as like, this is, this is for our kids. This is mm. something safe that our kids can have <laughs> as opposed to like, let's get this out and see if we can pull people towards the church. It was almost like a protectionary measure, like mm. circle the wagons around our kids. Here's yeah. something safe to play with. Like you don't need to listen to Limp Bizkit wow. or whatever. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's good. And it sounds like, I mean, that's that's not really what you guys were going for with your music. It was more like, we're going to be good. We're going to be like 
musically competitive and and at the same standard and level as like secular artists and stuff like that but we're going to do it in a way that's like you know that that speaks our principles well yeah but when you say what you just said there's a part of me that's like i think that's that happens across movement too i think it was the safe alternative and so one of the uh one of the members of cross movement we 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 uh we talk often and we both he's still a christian but we both lament about the fact that our music was so evangelical that it didn't really touch on a lot of life issues. It was it was a lot of gospel presentation and proclamation and defense of the faith, but not about just the, the day-to-day rubber meets the road, here's life. And so I think if we had if we had music that I don't want to say it wasn't real, but I don't know that it was real life. It was real thought life, real theology that you can take and apply to your life, but it wasn't real life. And so um, in that way, I think it was just as safe as what you're talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think that made it more applicable or helped? Do you, because it, when you look at CCM and how it's like a lot of, there's so much just like middle-class white evangelical families, like your life experience and lived experience is way different than theirs. Mm -hmm. But, because of the way you presented it with the lyrics just being very biblical, very theological, it made it that like made it accept you were talking about that made it accessible for them. Do you mm-hmm. think that do you think that if you if you if you brought life experience into it and tried to apply the way the gospel impacted your life at that time to your own life experience and, and hit on the the real aspects of life, do you think that would have do you think you would have had the same level of success? Do you think it would have been received the same way? I don't know. That's a good question. I really don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if the church would have been ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, they like to, we need things to fit. Yeah. To fit this. And yeah. you, I, that, what, that's not like, an, it's like you were, you were being your authentic selves at that time. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it, was like lined up perfectly on the Venn diagram for time and place. Yeah. Uh, which is, it, hmm. I mean, cause you guys end up turning cross movement into, I, I was reading about it today. It's like it was three, it was like kind of like three separate entities. You had your ministry, you had mm-hmm. your record label, you had the rap like, group. All, yeah. It's, yeah. It's mm-hmm. wild. You turned it into like a full like organization essentially. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it is, isn't it interesting though, how like, like evangelicalism tends to like go in two different directions when it comes to like, how are we going to, how are we going to take this message outward? Hmm. Because you've got the more contemporary, you know, uh, it's like practical versus, you know, ideological, right? Hmm. You've got like, you've got people that like their idea of how I reach people in the world is to befriend them and to, you know, learn about them and to invest in them personally and like offer, you know, try to try to connect with them on that level. And then like, like I had a youth pastor when I was a kid that, uh, you know, he was the opposite of that. He was like the apologetics guy. Mm. Like he was way more interested in like presenting all of the reasons Mm. why, you know, this, this part of the Bible is, is sound and the archeological proof that backs up the claims in Genesis and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, I don't know, it's funny what resonates with different Mm. people and and how they go about talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It points to, this might get ahead of, of where the conversation is going, but to me, 
it all points to just how how human the process is. Yeah. Um, like there's something for everyone because people are not that different. Even if you're different from me, there's somebody out there who's like you, who can speak to you. And there's someone out there like me who can speak to me. I hope um, he's fatter. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. There are things that I, I used to chalk up. So part of my, my deconversion process was um, I, I separate my deconstruction from my deconversion because I think there's, there are two separate things. Part of my deconversion process was looking back at my life and looking at all the things that I used to say that had to be God, right? And trying to, well, if I had to, could I explain it another way? And so what you just talked about in terms of, you know, different things working for different people. At one time, I would have put that in the category that would have had to have been God to have someone out there who spoke my language, you know, rap, you know. But no, it's just it's a very human experience. I mean, these are just, you know, the commonalities and the coincidences that occur. Like, you can explain these things other ways. Um, but anyway, that's just something that runs through my head when I, when I hear those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. Did you guys end up, so did you do your stuff DIY, like all the way through? Did you sign with like an outside record label at all throughout the process? So this is, goes back to the earlier question about um, us doing shows locally. We did a show in New York. There's a, a Christian rap, what is it called? Um, conference, I guess. Not really a conference. It's, it's, an, it's an event called Crew Vent. No, no, Crew Venture was in Atlanta. The one in New York is called, are oh, they going to kill me for forgetting this? Rap Fest. <laughs> rap, isn't it Rap Fest? I think it's called Rap Fest, the one in New York. Bert Pop Comic Con. <laughs> uh, Bert Boca Chica runs Rap Fest, I think, in New York. He invited us in 1995. No album out. No no one knows us other than, you know, we go back and forth from Philly, Jersey to New York. We went to Rap Fest in New York. It was under this big tent in the Bronx, I believe. And we do our show. And when we come on, because of the sound and the skill and the passion and all everything that cars were stopping, people were hanging out their windows. Like, what is that? And there was a guy from a distribution company, a music distribution company called Diamante. He said, yo, I don't know what it is, but you guys got something. Did you see the reaction of what you just did? He said, we want to we want to distribute you guys. We were like, yo, we make our own everything. Let's do it. They said, we only work with record labels, though. So we started our own record label just so that we can get that distribution deal. And after that, I think we did our first album on our own record label through their distribution. Then from that moment on, we partnered with other labels. So our label partnered with 7th Street. Then we okay. partnered with uh, Sony, but it was always joint ventures, joint partnerships, uh, partnership deals after that. Okay. So you got, that's how you got, man, that's crazy how you just walked into distribution like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what, I mean, at that time, that was the hardest part. How are you going to get this into the hands of other people? You're not, <laughs> it's like, yeah, no internet. No, not, it's like, yeah, how do we get this out? What did that look like? So when they when you when you get your first distribution, were yeah. they like, we're gonna put this in a Best Buy, or is it like, how how were they getting it placed? They didn't have relationships. It was a Christian distribution company, so they, they didn't have those kind of relationships. They have relationships with family Christian bookstore and things. Yeah, like yeah, that. okay. But the other, like, the hardest part, we're of, gonna put yours right behind KJ five two. KJ five two Yeah, KJ five two was even out. We actually helped uh, KJ uh, get out. Matter of fact, he ended up on the same. 
he ended up on the same, the label that we joined with after Diamante, 7th Street, also ended up getting with KJ5 too. We kind of helped uh, him get his thing. But anyway, um, I was saying that. I was saying that to say, oh, the, so not just distribution was difficult. The other hard part is marketing. It's one thing for them to put your music in all the Christian bookstores and all over the country. But if no one knows it's there, no one knows who you are, what was the point? So we had no money. Like they were not helping us with marketing. They said, we'll distribute your stuff. We had to find our own way to market. There was no internet. Matter of fact, the internet was just beginning to break the ground. And here's another one of those things that I would have said. Matter of fact, I have said for a long time, this is how God, uh, you know, uh, supported us or marketed us when we didn't have marketing money. So we put the album out. We when we didn't put it out. We gave it to Diamante, our distributor. We had a release date. Let's say the let's say the release date was November. We gave them the album in August. They get it. They have it for about maybe a month, and they're setting it up in stores. They worked it so that they can get like certain you know spaces in the store. Two weeks before it's set to release, we have a, a, a moral crisis because somebody asked us, we come, we go to do a show and somebody asked us, if you play this music at our event, are all of your samples cleared or is everything licensed? Is it good to go? We're like, we didn't even think about clearing samples. <laughs> oh, well, you can't sell it. Or you can't uh, do, you can't even perform it at the event because we could get sued. We're like, yo, it's that deep. Oh, man. So do we just put this music out? It's coming out in two weeks. Do we just put this out and just deal with the consequences later? Oh, my God. Or do we? Can we? Can we even pull it from the shelves? So we called the distributor. Yo, y'all got to forgive us. We're new at this. We just started the label just to work with y'all. But we need to not put that album out because it's unethical. We didn't clear the samples. Uh, we, we, oh we can't do that. They had already pressed up like maybe 10,000 copies or something like that. Holy pressed shit. Pressed them up and sent them out to the stores. The stores had them like waiting to put out on the shelf. So they said, are you, are you serious? Like, are you, are you serious? Yo, <laughs> our conscience just won't allow us to. So they pull it. They put the word out. Hey, y'all, sorry. Send all those back. And we had to eat the cost of that. We send them, send all the, all those back, and then we had to try to get the samples cleared. And because it was taking so long, we just said, you know what? Forget it. We'll remix. It was like five songs. We'll remix those five songs. And so we went through that for about four months of remixing the music and all that. What happened was in that four months, though, a few of the stores had put it on the shelves and sold it before they got the word like, oh, we're not supposed to be selling it. Ooh, my fault. So what happened was two things. Some people had got the album and couldn't, like other people couldn't get it. They just kept hearing about this cross movement. Like, yo, who is this freaking cross? Like, oh my, I keep hearing, but you can't get it. And then also the internet begins to buzz. And so now you have these, like, if you remember chat rooms, right? <laughs> now you have Christian hip hop chat rooms starting. And there was one called Hip Hop Zone. So people like, yo, anybody heard that cross movement? Yo, they're talking about it in hip hop zone. So, you know, supply yeah. and demand, right? Yeah. So when demand is high and supply is low, that ups your value. And so that marketed us in a way we didn't have money for magazines or payola with radios. No. 
And so we were like, yo, look at God, yo, God marketed us. God, God, <laughs> and this is how, you know, this is how the Christian model, and God honored our integrity because we made that tough decision to pull it from the shelves. God honored that and God, that's it. And, and, but that was the key to us being marketed. That's amazing. Yeah. That is a wild story. So, so th- that means there's still some albums floating out there. Oh yeah. With, if, if with anybody the, who's uh, got the original versions before we had to remix it, count this, they count themselves lucky or blessed. That's, I have a few of them stashed away here. Yeah. They're that's awesome. Yeah. I love that story, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you ever get any of the, you never were able to get any of the samples cleared? No, never. That's so crazy, man. Yeah. What a cool story. Yeah. I, <laughs> It's a good that, thing you like, had that happen, though, because like right? that yeah. had to have felt like a monumental setback at the at time. First, you had to be like, first. "What do we do?" Like, I've lost interest. I think I'm going to be a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you got to understand the sense of calling that we felt. Like this has to happen. Like this is so necessary. It has to happen, even if it has to happen this way. And we truly did believe that God would honor the integrity move. And so when that when that impromptu grassroots marketing, it wasn't a strategy, but it ended up looking like a strategy. So that by the time we finally released the remixed album, we didn't have to we didn't have to do anything except say it's available. And they flooded the stores. Amazing. Turns That's out awesome. God still honors guerrilla marketing campaigns <laughs> like that. Yep. So it was like, yo, that uh not a setback, just like, yo, this is par for the course. Yeah. That's wild. So one of the things that, uh, you know, I know that uh, my my friends and I talked about back in the day and stuff, and I think it's probably unique to uh, Christian music, you know, being that your guys' was so, like, like, openly spiritual and christian and conveying those themes maybe it wasn't like maybe you guys didn't get as much of that pushback but i feel like uh christian musicians had to deal with a lot of like uh vetting mm-hmm. and constantly being re-vetted as to like are you actually a christian is this real are you legitimate or is this some sort of get rich quick scheme is the is this the worst get rich quick scheme you've ever had <laughs> <laughs> right, because who's getting rich off Christian music, right? Um, <laughs> Only a handful. Toby Mac. Yeah, but, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we. I think because the music was so outspoken, there really wasn't a question. Like, who's going to sandbag their career by being this Jesus-oriented? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we really didn't have to deal with much of that. So you guys did, so you guys kind of just, we're on the up and up for a while and got, I mean, I believe 2006 was like the last album you put out. Is that right? No, the last album was, I think, 2008, seven eight? or eight. Okay. Yeah. So like, did it feel like your did it feel like your career just kept going up? Did you have like the ups and downs? Like what, what was it that like, mm-hmm. what was like the middle of it like? And then what kind of led to you guys being like, I, I think, I think this has kind of played it played its course hmm, yeah uh hmm so i think we hit a glass ceiling around 2006 yeah we just kept feeling like yo there's a level we can't get to and like we we had prayer campaigns we were like praying like there's something that we just that, that's not happening for us it seems like it should what is that is it because you know we're black 
and we, you know, we can't break through the CCM world? Is it because we're we're not churchy enough for the black gospel world? Like, is it because we're not hood enough for the secular world? Like, this maybe it's all of that, but it just felt like you know we couldn't get any further than we had gone. But there was that, and also hip hop had moved to the south, and we were northeast. So you could see it like when we would go to Texas and do concerts and we, our music would come on. They'd be like, yo, this is our best track and the crowd ain't moving. You're like, oh, that's right. <laughs> the sound is different here. Okay. And I think I th- there were a couple songs where, you know, we tried to switch up our sound to sound more like where hip hop had moved to and met with disastrous results. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it wasn't authentic for you guys. Exactly. It was like trying to exactly. put yourself into something that you really yeah. weren't. Yeah. And so, and we had younger guys on the label, you know, we had, you know, we had Lecrae and we had uh, The Truth and uh, Flame. Okay. So we had all these other younger guys who had more of the current sound. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it just, it just seemed like it was time. By the time we got to 2008, it was like, yo, pass the baton. Let somebody else. I got you. This. Yeah. Is, is Cross Movement still a label? I don't think so. Like, I, I think it's okay. morphed into Issachar Media and it's doing, it's, it's, basically been trying to get its feet off the ground with different uh, different media ventures. Okay. So, and I don't even know what they are. So you're um, like, you're not invested in that at all anymore though. Yeah, 2009, 2010, I sort of turned my attention to education and authoring. Um, I really haven't paid too much attention to Christian hip hop, except for when I wrote a book discussing uh, the moves that Lecrae was making around 2012, 2013, when he kind of dropped the Christian title. Outside of that, I hadn't really paid much attention to uh, the genre overall. I got you. So I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that, with that book that, that you did. What, what was the, the context of that? So the book was called um, from hip hop to Hollywood, the art of Christianity. And basically was, you know, kind of just laying out um, sort of the options because there's like, there's this discussion. So I have these four categories. Uh, there's the Christian who does Christian music on one extreme. There's the Christian who does non-Christian music. Um, there's the Christian. Oh, no, we're looking at you, Bono. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there's the Christian who, uh, I forget, it's been so long since I looked at this. There's a third option here. Um, I think it's the Christian who, uh, they want to be known as a Christian and but don't want to do Christian music. That was the second option. Third is they don't even want to be known as a Christian, but they still want to do Christian music or something like that. And then the fourth option is I don't want to be known as a Christian or do Christian music. And so I just kind of talked about does a Christian have to do Christian music or can you find yourself in one of these other? Can you do non-Christian music? Doesn't mean that it's unchristian. It's just not Christian. Um, and can you just not even be known as a Christian just being, you know, so, so I kind of walked through these options and sort of tried to give some, some room for Lecrae to do what he was doing because people I think were judging him too harshly. But then even he, I think was the way he was explaining what he was doing wasn't beneficial to people who were trying to figure out, um, can a Christian do that? And so I just was sort of trying to make it clear. Um, uh, 
this is back when I cared about all of that. Uh, <laughs> to make it's so it, funny to think about all that, right? Like, exactly. I, like the amount of conversations I look back on, we're like, we stayed up till three in the morning debating whether or not it's once saved, always saved, or you were never really a crit. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. We wasted a lot of time. Jesus <laughs> turned water into wine, but in actuality, yeah. like you couldn't drink the water back then. So there had to be a certain amount of alcohol in the water, but it wasn't alcohol in the way it is it wasn't now. Where, like, the way that we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All of that, yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, wrote a whole book about it. And I mean, it, it helped many people. It probably still helps people to this day. Um, but yeah, I haven't checked for it. So, so when you, you said you turned your attention to teaching or education. And so when you when you kind of phased out of cross movement and, and started going on a different path, you felt like it was like, you felt like, oh, this is, it's kind of time for me to move on from that. Or were you always like, were you on the fence at any point about like feeling like you st- were still doing hip hop? Like, um, not really, because like, I, you know, I talked about my influences in rap, the kind of rap that I do is very, uh, I put a lot of work into lyrics. And so I'm big on double entendre, wordplay, alliteration, uh, you know, assonance, you know, the, the lyricism is just always like, it's like, bet you bite a chip. Like, I bet you'll bite some sort of artistic, uh, you know, he was doing this in this line. He was doing this, he was doing this and this in this line. That's how I put things together. Once I realized that listeners of rap music were no longer checking for that kind of stuff, it was kind of going over their heads. It was, you know, it felt like, why am I putting all this effort into something that people aren't really going to be checking for like that? And so, and once again, for me, rap was only proclamation. It was communicating a message. I only got good at rap because I, my appreciation for the gospel message grew and I felt like it deserved a better effort to tell it. And so as my appreciation for the message grew, so did my attempt to try to tell it well. So once I realized people are not listening to the lyrics like that, I said, well, I still care about the message, but if you're not listening, I'll just tell it a different way. And so I just got very clever with crafting curriculum so I'm going into the, the inner city, into the public schools, teaching sociology and character education, but trying to frame it in ways that drudge up philosophical and then theological questions. So I'm almost like sneak attacking in the public schools, trying to get people to ask questions that will allow me to plant seeds. So just as creative as I was with the lyrics, I turned all that to education. One I of say. James Dobson types. Uh yeah, kind of, kind of, but, but he's, yes. no, 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 to look. So yeah, he's focused on the family though, right? Yep. So when I shifted from cross movement to education, I started teaching for an organization called Urban Family Council that was very influenced by a James Dobson. So we were going into the schools teaching character education under that kind of a model, under that, that kind of a mindset. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, they rebranded it because we know Dobson and his message only works for middle class white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dobson's yeah. a foot guy. A yeah, he back. does. He's definitely He's explored good. it pretty in depth on this show, but uh, hmm. yeah, he a- he appreciates a good foot. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> so leave that there. Okay, there's no entendre. It is okay. what it sounds. Okay. Like. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, when did like the first thoughts of like? Cause I mean, dude, I mean your whole life 
for mm-hmm. up until that point. And then you're like, you were so passionate about the message. You're just saying like, oh, we I went from cross movement when I felt like that was effective. I got into this because I want to, I, I want, I believe in this message and I want people to hear it. Mm-hmm. And it, at what, at what point did that, like when you were like, wait, what am, what am I doing? Hmm. Do what do I think about this? How did that thought creep in? And like, what was that like? Hmm. And about like, when was that? So it began probably around 2014. Um, hmm. I think was the best way to, to, to get into this. You were like a loving God would not have let Mitt Romney lose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I had gone through Bible college in the two thousands and in the 2000s, while I was in Bible college, I, you know, encountered some things that made me shift my view on the Bible being inerrant to infallibility. I actually was working on a paper where I was arguing for inerrancy. And in my research, I had encountered some things that just made me say, okay, maybe not inerrant. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's funny you say that. I, I, I was a Liberty University Bible mm-hmm. major guy and, uh, Similar experience when I was writing a paper on the book of Revelation. Mm. And just like, as I kept reading, I was like, wait a second. I, you start from perspective A and then you're like, wait, these guys actually have a lot of really good points. Yeah. When yeah. you start actually reading books from other people. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, well, maybe it's different. Yeah. No, that just means like this lizard has a lot of eyeballs. I don't know how this works. <laughs> so I, I shifted from inerrancy to infallibility in Bible college, but my faith wasn't shaken. Um, but here's one thing I think the fundamentalists have right. Once you start saying it's not, the Bible's not inerrant, you actually do open the door to, you know, what yep. they call the slippery slope. Because if it's not inerrant, who are you? to determine what is in, uh, what is true and what's not, you know, what's in error and what's not. And then how do you make that determination? And then you start getting the questions about inspiration. Okay. If it's in all scriptures, God breathe, you know, it's all interconnected. So that shift in Bible college around 2007, it did something to me, but it didn't shake my faith. It just kind of maybe laid the groundwork for what would shake my faith. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I think, I don't know. It's 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 interesting because I I feel like that that whole principle of like the Bible being inerrant, mm-hmm. it works both ways, right? Because you kind of need it mm-hmm. to explain certain passages yeah. and to you know reassure a person who's looking at it from the outside and going ah you know like there's certain pieces of it that are really hard to swallow mm-hmm. unless you can look at the whole thing and say this is the complete word of God. It is you know, inspired and it is perfect and it does not contradict itself. So yeah. figure out how it does, you know, <laughs> exactly. but I feel, I feel like the flip side of that we'll coin, open entire institutions to prove to ourselves that yeah. it isn't what it looks like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's 30 verses on this subject and 20 of them matter. <laughs> but the flip side of that is that like, you know, you end up in, I think a lot of people end up in that same situation. I feel like I ended up in that same situation where like there comes a point where I don't know, it just gets tough to look at some of it and think this is, I I feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes if I would have grown up in a segment of Christianity that had more leeway, that had more, 
that there was more mystery too. that they could have looked at a passage that was tough, you know, like some of the old Testament passages that are <laughs> harsh mm-hmm. and, and said like, look, um, you know, I think the point of this is to tell a story, right? I, mean, I think the purpose of this story is not that like, this is the historical record of how the yeah. Israelites, you know, righteously wiped out an entire civilization. Like the purpose here is to tell us that like, you know, they, this is their understanding of what they're doing. And so I don't know, it's, it's tough yeah. to decide which way is better and which way makes it easier for people to live in peace with some of the things that are in the Bible. I would love to to interact with people who grew up under that kind of Christianity, because I feel like most of the liberals that I meet, they downshifted to liberal Christianity once they realized that the conservative Christianity was untenable. So I don't know, like, I guess you could raise your kids in that and you can grow up that way, but it almost feels like it's hard to, it's hard to get sick with it. Well, yeah, but I think it's hard. It's also, it's hard to grab somebody's heart with liberal Christianity. You need the miraculous. This is historical. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you take you need all that to be sort the threat of, of eternal damnation is really helpful too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It, I guess, but I'm I'm just talking about the winsome qualities of a God who did all the the awe inspiring things even before you get to hell. But yeah, even that too, I guess. Like once you begin to take away the literalness of it, it's it's much less impressive. So I don't know. Can you grow up in liberal Christianity and still be be won over by God? Yeah, I think you I, have to adjust I, your uh, your your sights a little bit. You're not mm-hmm. swinging for the fence mm-hmm. on producing a kid that's like a Billy Graham at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, but yeah. you know, there's a good <laughs> chance that he'll be an alcoholic youth ministries major <laughs> <laughs> at a Unitarian Universalist school. <laughs> not everybody's an A player, you know what I mean? <laughs> we need the. But bees. it almost it almost shows you the. <sighs> hmm. I hate to say this, but it almost it almost shows you like the. Uh, should, can I say this? You can say whatever. It you almost want. shows you like the the con of it all, because I gotta I gotta sell you this this grand tale, these great tall tales to get you in. But then once I get you in, then I'll tell you. Well, we don't really take that literally. I couldn't tell you that up front because you would, you wouldn't have come in. But once you're you know ten fifteen years into this. Once you've you know got a Bible college degree and you know now once you're in debt to the government, once you're that deep in and you're raising kids on this, now I can invite you to the back room and tell you, you know. Yeah, I think how- that's but that's the difference, man. Is the, I, you just hit, I think you really just hit on it. Is are you selling something and trying to bring people in, or are you choosing to believe something that's allowing you and helping you live the life that you find Mm. meaningful. So like, I think that was a shift for me when I realized that I didn't, I don't, no one, no one needs to believe this. Mm. So you take away that threat. Mm. It's like of eternal damnation. No one needs to believe this, but I have this idea about what I think matters in the world. And Mm. when I look at this, it compels me to live this way. That's it's the, it's like, it's a signpost. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I did foster care and I, I just, I, part of my faith at the time was like, I, this is why I this is why I think foster care is important. Mm. And like, no one else has to 
believe the same things I believe. So I think that's the difference is like when, when your idea of Christianity is this people, I need to export this. I need other people to believe this. And that's my mission in life versus no, this is how I'm going to live and operate in the world in a way that's meaningful and life-giving. And I think provides and is it, it, it breathes life into maybe somebody else. Yeah. Uh, then well, like that to me, that's what Christianity should have been. Hmm. And, and so like, if that's what it is, no one needs to change their mind. You just need to, you're, you're just there for people. Yeah. And I think, I think, so that's, I think that's the kind of the rub is like, if Christianity is something you need to bring people into, mm. then it's, I, it essentially is no longer Christianity. It's just, mm. it's just a system of beliefs that you subscribe to, uh, and not a way to exist and not a way to act or function or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so that was yeah, Bible college downshifted to uh, infallibility. Then about seven years later, in seminary, I went to seminary not to be a pastor or anything. I was going further in secular academia, so I'm, I'm developing curriculum. I'm teaching in uh, public schools, teaching at the Community College of Philadelphia, and I just knew the further I got into secular academia. At some point, I was going to want to be able to defend the faith using original languages and, you know, how do we defend the faith against whether it be science or all the things I would meet with in secular academia. So I went to seminary to be a better apologist. And it was in seminary that I began to see, like, you know, you talked about, you said. It's like, it's opposite Lee Strobel. (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) you you know, you talked about, we're, we're going to start these institutions to, to explain why it's not what it looks like. And it was in seminary that I began to say, seems like we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot to make this not look like what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were arming me, like they were equipping me to lie to people. Like, here's how we get over this hurdle. <laughs> and when they say this, we say this. And I'm like, what? but is it true when they say that? I don't, I don't want to know what our answer is. I want to know, yeah. is that true? Yes. And it just seemed like we don't care if it's true. We care whether or not we can answer it. Well, we have an answer for that. Okay, It's fine. apologetics. Exactly. You have an answer for it, but is it true? And I got to the point where I just, I cared whether or not it was true. And it didn't seem like that was, that was what mattered. Um, and it shook me. It shook me to the point where I said, okay, all of my 30 years of my life being a biblicist, I said, okay, God, I need you to speak outside of this Bible because now that I know what it could have said and what it probably should have said in some cases, I don't know how I can see you here anymore, but I still believe you. I just need to see you outside of this book. Just let me know you're still, we still good. And for a couple of years after seminary, I said, I was, I was helping, like I was helping God. Like I was looking at life and just Ooh, ooh, maybe that was God. <laughs> maybe, maybe when this coincidence <laughs> happened, maybe, maybe he did that. Maybe interpreting everything in God's favor. And then one day, something just said, "Just stop, stop helping, and see if if you still think it's God. Stop, take the training wheels off, and let God do it on His own." You gotta stop casting those fleeces, my man. <laughs> if God's gonna Oops. speak, let Him speak. If God's gonna move, let Him move. Stop working overtime to interpret it in favorable ways. It's confirmation bias. Just chill. See what happens. Don't pray. See what happens. Uh, don't go to church. See what happens. 
Don't read your Bible. See what happens. Um, does do, do bad things start happening? No more than usual. Do good things stop happening? No more than usual. Like nothing changed. Um, I just sort of, I, I guess it, it began to dawn on me just how manufactured it all was. And this was this was not even me going back to the Bible yet. This is just me trying to live in God's world and see him. And after several years that I, I became depressed, like I would wake up in the morning and just lay in bed for hours, like just unmotivated. So the devil finally got you, I see. <laughs> um, friends like suggest like, yo, you might be depressed. I'm like, me? No, like I'm... I'm teaching at four schools. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. Like my relationships are cool. Why would I be depressed? But my identity is my main identifier. Like I identify as a Christian. Yeah. And that part of me was like, I don't know what to do with that right now. And it wasn't until I graduated 2015. It wasn't until 2021 that I had the courage to open the Bible again and try to understand or try to find out can I believe this? And if so, how? And when I did that, I had to deal with Genesis, had to deal with evolution, had to deal with the way Christians are trying to find ways to make Genesis not say what it says so that evolution can be true and the Bible be true at the same time. It all just began to, to, to tumble. And I just remember saying, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I, I can't. Like I, I remember looking back almost like to the Bible to the, the authors of the Bible, like, y'all got me for 30 years. Fool me once, shame on you. But if I let you fool me again, nah, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. So, so reading between the lines here a little bit, I mean, basically yeah. what you're saying is uh, you quit Christianity because you wanted to sin. <laughs> that's probably fourth on my list <laughs> I, I will what's not your lie. favorite sin now that you're not a christian anymore <laughs> I, I wouldn't lie and say you know once the once the you know you do away with the uh the biblical morality you have to come up with your own like well how, what, what's going to be right what's going to be wrong um and things that the bible would say is sin i look at now and say no it's just it's natural uh you know it's fine um, but no, that was, that was down on my list. High on my list was, you know, I don't want to lie to people. I had, I had non-believing coworkers who were very interested because they knew my history. They knew you know, my music with cross movement. And I, I remember them asking me about, you know, this one of them was an atheist, a Jewish guy, atheist. So I want to believe, but I just, and he sort of was looking at me almost like with these puppy dog eyes, like, like help me believe what you believe. And I was like, I don't want to do that to him. This is before I deconverted, years before I deconverted, three years, four years before I deconverted. But I remember saying, because I was in my, you know, trying to get God to do something to prove himself. But I remember looking at this guy, like I gave him the most basic, unimpressive rendition of the gospel I could, because I felt like I don't want to lie to him. I don't want to say something to him that a year from now, I'm going to come back and say, oh, we don't really believe that. We, 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 we can't take that literally. Which must be tough because you probably have about seven studio albums of stuff you've said that you don't believe anymore. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I mean, is that, do you, how much, how, like if you're talking about thinking about not what at that time, not wanting to say something that you're not going to believe later, it did, did that, does that, did that come into your mind a lot? Did that occupy much of your brain space of like all the things that you've said and when I thought album? about it. When I thought about it, but I didn't think about it a lot. I blocked it out. Like I was still going to church faithfully, still giving, still serving, still worshiping. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I still wanted people to believe the gospel because it was it was still good news to me. I still thought there was sin was a real issue and salvation was a real need. I just wasn't sure how to get people there because to be honest, a lot of my issue was the first couple of chapters of the Bible. I just got to the point where I was like, that can't be true. That can't be literal. Um, but as a as an evangelist, I know there's no good news without bad news. And the bad news happens in Genesis 3. So I'm like, I don't know how to get you to the good news because I don't want to tell you this bad news. I don't know how to trust that anymore. But um, yeah, I think I looked back at my music at the time as it was still gospel centered. And so I still wanted people to hear it. Now I look back at the music like, I love it for the artistry. Yeah. But other than that, I'm just like, I, I almost pity me when I hear it. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, uh, what do you think it... Go ahead, Sam. Sorry. What do you think it was? Because we were talking earlier about like people going on the liberal Christian path, hmm. uh, and then some people leaving. What, do you, what was it for you, do you think, that... So when you go... Uh, Genesis, like that story isn't true anymore. The liberal Christian path would be like, yeah, of course it didn't literally happen. Mm-hmm. I don't even know the people who wrote it thought it literally happened, mm-hmm. or maybe it didn't cross their mind at all, but these are the stories that were passed down yeah. and they find ways to, this is how they understood God. And we see the way that they thought God was different than maybe the dominant culture thought God was. And and we see the evolution of God and mm-hmm. uh, or people's understanding of God. And like, what was it that made it? As you, as you were like, this isn't true. There, and, and now I can't really believe this. Versus like going down a path like that. Like, what do you think it was that set you on your trajectory versus like maybe a liberal Christian trajectory? Um, people hate when I say this, and they say it sounds arrogant, but it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm going to say integrity for me. Like, yeah, uh, I'm not an idiot. I don't think I'm an idiot. Let me just say that. If I'm an idiot, maybe I wouldn't know I was an idiot. I don't think I'm an idiot. (laughs) When I read the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, Peter, these people seem to take Genesis literally. So whatever the original authors thought they were doing with the story, if they were just giving Israel a literary history and not a literal history, cool. But by the time you get to the New Testament authors, they're looking back at Genesis as literal history. I don't know how to split that difference and say, It's both. It's non-literal and literal. It's non-historical and historical. It's polemic and it's, you know, human history. Like, it can't be both. And I, I settle on integrity, intellectual honesty, because I just feel like if I were to try to do something like that, like Peter Enns, Mm -hmm. I read Peter Enns when I was in seminary and I actually reviewed his uh, evolution of Adam book. And tore it to shreds because while he tried to say, you know, Adam wasn't historical because, you know, evolution had the arguments for evolution had had swayed him. So Adam wasn't historical. He nonetheless said he went as far as to say Paul was wrong by saying that through one man sin came into the world and through that man sin death. Yet sin is still a universal problem. And therefore the cross of Jesus Christ is still a universal need. And I'm looking at him like. How do you get there? Like, based on what? Paul bases that on Genesis. You just destroyed that whole argument. So for me, it just was, I don't see any integrity in the liberal approach. And I'm like, if you're going to go liberal, you might as well, like, basically all you're saying is, sort of like you said a a while ago, people need story. 
People need meta narrative. Myths yep. are helpful. But I'm like, okay, if that's all we're doing, couldn't we tell some better myths today that take into account what we know now? Like now we know the sky is not a solid dome. Like, like if we were to write myths today, we would tell some pretty awesome, they may not be true. They may not be any more true than Genesis, but they'd at least take into account more of what we know about humanity. Sure. I think that's a great point. I think, I guess one of the things that I think about is in regard to like, there, you could, to split the difference here, because I think Christianity does something different than maybe another religion like Judaism does, mm -hmm. right? Because I could, like with Judaism though, it's like there's myth and then there's also, there's the value of myth and then there's also the value of tradition. Mm -hmm. So like as a Christian or as someone who's left Christianity and you go, Genesis is bunk, therefore I don't believe this like gospel narrative that Christianity is offering mm -hmm. as and then you look at like the Jewish faith, which is like, yeah, I mean, of course, Jonah didn't get eaten by a giant fish. That's a story that represents mm -hmm. this. And it's about our culture and our heritage. And, mm -hmm. and, and then you have the tradition and then like the, that tradition grounds a lot of people and they, yeah. they find value in that. So I think that's what's really interesting about what you're, what you're talking about is like, it's almost like the myth without a, a tradition or mm. a heritage, which I think Christianity really, really mm. lacks. Like, ah. It really lacks tradition. Uh, Catholics mm. might have a little more of it in mm. the way that they just do certain things, but mm. like evangelicalism is like it's pretty traditionless. And I think well, that tradition really of evangelicalism about. is <laughs> apologetics, <laughs> apologetics, and coming up with new denominations. Like this, oh, yeah. the, the splintering off is part of the tradition. Yeah. Oh, you said that there's this one thing that we disagree on. So I'm going to start. Oh, we, we think we should sprinkle babies instead of submerge them. So <laughs> right. new denomination and also we'll kill you if you cross over <laughs> our territory. <laughs> Looking at you, John Calvin. <laughs> yeah. Mm. There's also like the glue that holds this all together mm. for a lot of people too, is like community. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of, churches just don't do a good job of you know and 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 yet it's still a stronghold for people you're right yeah it really just depends and and you know i don't we've like also... this i'm just afraid of being kicked out of it <laughs> <laughs> and, but you know what sorry uh uh to cut you off i think the pandemic helped a lot of people this is why i think deconstruction at least um sped up during the pandemic because yeah, I don't like this, but I'm afraid to get kicked out of it. But during the pandemic, I couldn't access it or I had to access it virtually. But I realized, you know what? I can kind of do without this. And, and so it, it gave people time and space to kind of rethink some things. Yeah. It's like Christianity was like living in California. You know, <laughs> you're stuck in your house. You can't go outside and enjoy the weather. You're like, I'm going to move somewhere with lower taxes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> but we've we talked to um yeah man i'm blanking on her name but uh we talked to one uh, a woman who you know she she took us through the story of like her upbringing and her family was very interwoven into the church and she's like describing this church and i think it was like a west coast primarily black church and she's describing like the atmosphere of this place and the things that they did in their community and, and stuff like that. And I was like, kind of just awestruck at how different it was from like my church where it's mm. like, uh, you, 
you show up on Sunday at 1059, you sit bolt upright, you read from the hymnal while you sing. Mm. Uh, the minute the, the pastor hits the closing bell, everybody's gone. And like, there's just not this community aspect yeah. of it. They kind of pay lip service to it, but like, you know, this woman's describing like, mm. I mean, it was all encompassing. It was yeah. like yeah. start to finish in there, you know, uh, th- this person in our church lost their job. And so we're all going to band together and help them out and cut their lawn and blah, 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 mm. blah. And like they did the community aspect of it so well, mm-hmm. yeah. but that wasn't enough for her. And yeah. and because she she looked at things, uh, she was really like she. I think she, if I remember correctly, she asked a lot of the same kinds of questions that you did, and mm. and it wasn't enough that just that she was a part of this community. Eventually, she just couldn't square with the fact that like she didn't believe this stuff. Mm. I'm curious. Okay, so I was looking around a little bit, you know, because I know you um, made kind of a public statement about you know, the fact that you were not a Christian anymore, you didn't consider yourself a Christian and, um, and, and you have a book out and like, I, I typed your name into YouTube just to like, see what comes up. (laughs) (laughs) It's fascinating to me. And I I, I wonder what it's like (laughs) to put out a book Mm -hmm. and then have people like making videos and doing podcasts, taking your book line by line and arguing Mm -hmm. with it and talking about why it's wrong or disagreeing mm. with the points you made. And yeah. I mean, I'm not, doesn't necessarily mean it's like, like you an did ugly with Pete ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get ends. Karma. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? And I, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's people who are good actors and bad actors that have come forward and all that, but I, I don't know how familiar we are with uh, the band under oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like a Christian metal band back, you know, that we grew up with. But okay. it was like a couple of years ago now, the couple of the members, you know, they had like serious ups and downs and they came out and said that they weren't Christian anymore. And there mm. was a <clears throat> ugly backlash. Mm. I mean, mm. did you get that? How, how did that feel? What was it like for you? Yeah, the responses that I've gotten have been as different as people are. So there's some... Hey, you're still my brother. I love you. I'll never forget what God did through you uh, for me in terms of talk about the music and the ministry and all that. Back when we had our, our ministry office, uh, we had the rap group, the record label, and then the nonprofit ministry. People could just call the ministry office and, you know, we, you know, I'd just be on the phone talking with people, you know, just discipling folks over the phone. This is back in the, you know, early 2000s. And so you're talking 25 years of people who've got these memories of being discipled personally or long distance or through the music. Um, so some expressing, you know, still love, still support, uh, others sending me to, you know, sending me to hell. I've got one of my friends, one of the Christian rap guys texting me at two o'clock in the morning, telling me that, you know, my soul is going to, you know, pay for my decision, you know, in eternity and all the truth about Christ that I've learned is going to echo in my heart forever while I've suffered I mean, one of the other Christian <laughs> rap dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hey, been Jake, one of the most extreme guys, anyway. But um, there's something about not needing anything from anyone. Uh, where, like, I don't need any validation from anyone. The community. I still feel like I, I love the folks in the community, but I don't. I don't need anything from anyone. 
And so I'm not dependent on their approval. The only thing that is frustrating is when people uh, say things about my book because my, to me, my intellect is one of my main uh, prize attributes. So to, to make it seem like my book is not uh, academic or not scholarly or that I didn't do my due diligence, that frustrates me. And so I'll go to bat. You know, I started I started a podcast just to do counter apologetics to the people who are doing apologetics on my book. Um, the non-Christian clapback podcast. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, if we're still thinking of a name. We might use that. Or if we could take On Fire, is that still available? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, everything's available for a fee. So, um, yeah, that's frustrating to have people um, trying to paint my my work in a poor light. But other than that, I'm on Facebook just about every day saying things to ruffle people's feathers. I just want people to think. And it's interesting because I have, you know, all these, I'll put up a post and maybe like 10 people will like it. But there'll be like 300 comments, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, there's all this ratioed. There's all this engagement, um, but then every day I get text messages or uh, private messages, DMs from people that I don't know. Hey, I've been reading all your posts all year long, and not just the posts, but all the comments. I never say anything. These are Christians. I never say anything, but I love what you're doing. Thank you for making me think about this or helping us think about that. Or you know, I've, been, I've been wondering about this too. And now that you said that, I'm thinking of every day. And so I do it for people like that. I mean, clergy, people telling me like, I, I'm i in the same boat as you. I graduated from Westminster on the West Coast. And so I know what you're talking about. I can't say it, but I'm glad you said it. I don't know how to tell my congregation that I don't believe anymore. I don't know how to tell my oh. kids I don't believe anymore. Like these are the messages that are coming in every day. Um, wow. It, the through yeah. line, man, I'm seeing is like when you had the cross movement ministries and you're, you're speaking directly to people like your, your care and your passion for people and investing in people's lives who have supported you. I, mean, I think that's awesome, man. I, mm-hmm. I think that's something that you can consistently see throughout your life based on just what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I tell people, you changed. You changed. So I'm the same dude. I'm the same guy that would hang. So we used to do concerts and people would like, you know, we'd be ministering to people after the show, just hanging out, pouring into them, as we would say. Whatever we, whatever was poured into us, we would pour it into people. And, you know, the guys in my group, like, yo, man, the host that brought us into this concert, they're trying to take us to go get something to eat. And where am I? I'm off, still praying for people, still building with people, still pouring into people. Like that's, and people to this day say, hey, I remember when y'all came to Cincinnati, you stuck around and talked to me after the show. I'm the same guy doing that today. Yep. I just believe different, but I'm the same guy. Uh, one of the guys in my, my rap group, he talks about how antagonistic I am towards Christians on Facebook. Well, you changed. You were never like this before. I said, yo, you didn't mind when I was like this toward yeah. non-Christians. <laughs> you stood beside me on stage. I had a song where the whole chorus of the song was, Without Christ, you ain't spiritual. You just caught up in a bunch of spirit rituals. You stood beside me while I antagonized non, non-Christians. I'm the same guy. You just don't like who I'm antagonizing today. Yeah. And so, yeah, to your point, I, don't, I haven't changed. I'm the same dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, I love this. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, man. This I appreciate you guys a, giving me a platform. Yeah. Such a good time. Where, um, Where can we like, 
where can we direct people? To? I, I you said you got your book, you got your podcast coming out. Like, yep. tell us about all your business, man. So the book is there maybe too much light shining on for you to see it. There it is. There we let go. There, be light. Yeah, let there be gaslight. See the gaslight. little gas. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, let there be gaslight. Uh, subtitle is Does the Bible Tell the Truth About Our Creation, Fall, and Redemption? This book is really just me arguing uh, with all the Christian pastors, apologists, theologians, Bible college professors that I went to to read their work to get answers uh, for can I still believe this thing in it? All their responses just were making me feel like you're, you're basically just gaslighting me. So I'm uh, debating them in this book. Um, on Facebook, that's where I'm most active, Brady, Fanatic, Goodwin. If you just want a good read, you can just go to the Facebook page and just read the questions I throw up and just the, the conversations that ensue. Um, uh, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I have Twitter, I have Instagram, but I hardly ever use them. So it's not even uh, worth telling you what they are. Uh, catch me <laughs> on Facebook or check out All the right. book on Amazon. And you, the podcast, you don't have a release date for that yet? Well, the podcast, if you if you go to YouTube and just type in Brady Goodwin, okay, um, you'll see you'll see uh, what what uh, Casey said. All the responses to my book, but you'll also see my podcast. Right now, we've been calling it Pull Up, but I don't even think you can type in Pull Up and find it. That's how bad I branded it because I don't even like the name. <laughs> just type in Brady Goodwin on YouTube and I got you. Weed you got through the all of the responses. No yeah, and you'll you'll find it there. Yeah, yeah. I'll put a link in the description for everybody to the uh, the YouTube Appreciate channel. It. So yeah. And uh, last question for me, at least. I know you've been so gracious with your time, man. Do you do you do anything with music still? Do you have any intention of doing anything musically? I probably ought to. People are telling me like they would still love to hear something from me, but I'm gonna be honest with you. It feels almost sacrilegious to do anything, but. Like I said, I only ever got good at rap to tell one particular message. Mm -hmm. And now that I don't believe that message, rapping about anything other than the gospel almost feels like taking your new girlfriend to you and your old girlfriend's favorite restaurant. (laughs) Vinnigan's is dead to me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, it'll be a pleasant surprise the day I get a notification that you hey. dropped a, a new single. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>